And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Now part of the athletic baseball show where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And I am joined, yet again, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. So, Doug, uh, you just hopped off the plane from St. Louis, what, like about a minute and a half ago? Yeah. How you doing there, my friend? Oh, yeah, I love the, the 3.45 a.m. Yes. wake-up call. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, I, yeah, I wasn't sure what was. I brushed my teeth with something. I'm not even sure of toothpaste. I'm just, you know, you're so delirious. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, you know, I got in and a uh, great weekend. You know, it was actually an incredible games. Cardinals, Braves. And uh, some of the best baseball I'd seen all season long. Yeah. I mean, the comebacks, um, the way the Brave, the, the you know, the Cardinals are they're really good. And you know, it used to be the Arenado Goldschmidt show, and then you know everybody else was kind of like an ensemble character. But now, you know, the the Lars Newt bar. I told him, man, he needs a chocolate bar in his name. <laughs> and uh, Donovan, these guys, they're tough and. Uh, you know, they have the the good kind of platoon scenario too. They can bring in Albert. Uh, very impressed, and um, and the fact that they re- they're resilient. So, as well as the Braves have been playing, you know, you had to play your best baseball to beat them. And the Cardinals did it two nights in a row. So I, I had a great time just talking to guys. I saw uh, Brad Ruppelmeyer, who is the catcher in Double A for the Greenville Braves, and we always laugh about the five or six brawls we got into <laughs> between the two teams. And we found out actually uh, that you know we found out this weekend that. Brian Snicker was coaching one of those teams, not not the whole year, but he was in Greenville for part of the year. So I was trying to figure out if he knew about these brawls. So I found an old video out of my Dropbox of uh, of the one doubleheader where we got into, I think, four brawls in a doubleheader, including in between games, the Tommy Jones and Bruce Kim, the managers, started fighting at home plate when they were exchanging lineup cards. So, I mean, this was craziness. So uh, I had the video and, and I showed Snicker and he was on the floor. So he, as soon as I got to the booth, I got a text from Rick Kranitz. He said, Snip just told me you have this video. You got to text me. <laughs> so just went around. So um, but so those were those were great times. But um, but it was good to, 
kind of see the guys, but you know, he's running a, a great ship over there. So, so awesome to be part of some some fun baseball. And it was a birthday week where I um, went to Chicago, did some games, and got on you know TV f- yeah, with my whole did. family on my birthday. So yeah, it was it was a it was a great week and. Uh, baseball was the centerpiece for sure. Well, speaking of the Braves, here's a remarkable coincidence for you. We'll be talking this week to the Braves GM and president of baseball ops, also frequent visitor to Starkville, Alex Anthopoulos. Got a lot to kick around with Alex. But first, you know, Doug, it's it's well documented. You and I are longtime fans of baseball weirdness. And we've had a lot of laughs through the years over my Never any collection of the weirdest injuries in the history of baseball. And we've got another entry this week. Okay, the Yankees placed Aroldis Chapman on the injured list just the other day with, you ready, sir? An infected tattoo. Or at least that's what they said it was. And um, Doug, I don't want to reveal my whole uh, list of injury of the year candidates because it's always a big highlight of my year-end Strange But True column, and there's a big suspense over that. Uh, I used to have players who were lobbying to be number one, but let, let, let's just review a few of the contenders and see if you think that Aroldis Chapman ranks number one. Um, Chris Sale, out for the year after falling off his bike, uh, I guess we should say according to the Red Sox, uh, in a related development, he's also out of the Tour de France. So just to update yes, that. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, never entered. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> Archie Bradley, he was in the middle of that crazy <laughs> Angels-Mariners brawl. And uh, th- th- this wasn't a good idea. He fell out of the dugout. Uh, that did not end well. Fractured his elbow. So remember, kids, when you're brawling, make sure to stick the landing. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I say put your seatbelt on. Always, uh, then you won't want to. Yeah, I don't know if you out. can do that during a brawl, but good. You know, car seats. We can get car seats in a brawl. <laughs> okay, keep them handy. Uh, let's see. We had Francisco Lindor closing his hotel door on his hand. We had Austin Meadows uh, in spring training. He strained his calf. Uh, he he. This is what this was the explanation. He got dehydrated because he was spending so much time driving around Florida in the spring. I think we can both vouch you'd never have that problem with the Cactus League. Okay. So those are a few of my early favorites. But, Doug, I want to ask you now. We're uh, about to enter September. Like, as it's positioned right now, is Araldus Chapman and the tattoo infection the injury of the year so far? Yeah, you know, it... It's got a, it's definitely worthy of ranking. Um, well, first of all, it's self-induced, self-imposed. I mean, I'm not sure. You know, apparently this is some tradition where people get tattoos in the middle of the season. They get inspired. <laughs> I've heard that people who get the ink, they kind of get a little bit addicted to it, and they just keep going. You know, I I understand that's a thing. Uh, I you know it wasn't my thing. Uh, I certainly the needle, the paint. The permanence, all that. I was always thinking, well, what would I get that would be permanent? I thought, well, my dad was from Trinidad. Maybe you got a flag. You know, your kids and think You know, I tried, but it just nothing rose to the level of risking infection mid-season. So I'm not sure. You know, I I I uh, feel like that was it was worthwhile. But you know, I know I you know I read that it was of, of his sister apparently. So there's a connection there. I don't know the backstory there. 
So, um, you know, I appreciate the tribute to family, but yeah, that that's it's just not good timing, man. I mean, why off season? Off season. You got the off season. Yeah. And now his off season started a little earlier than than he had hoped. Hopefully this thing gets better. But uh but I think of throwbacks, Ricky Bonus, wasn't he one where he was it he got hurt in the recliner? Wasn't that Ricky Bonus? That sounds right. He yeah. was in his recliner. Yeah, a couple of sneeze injuries, <laughs> many, many Sammy many Sosa. Yeah. yeah we, so um we, but yeah, you know, unless you're getting a tattoo. I, I think, in fact, I think you should go on the injured list if you get a tattoo of your own face on your body, then you should be put on the injured list automatically. I, I, I guess that's a good policy. But, uh, look, I have to ask you this. It's something that always comes up when we have injuries this weird. Uh, are we sure that this really happened the way we were told that it happened? Is it possible that what Araldus Chapman was really suffering from was an inflamed ERA, you know? Uh, this guy had a zero ERA in his first 12 appearances. Since then, it's over seven. He can't throw a strike. He can't throw a pitch anywhere near a strike. His last two appearances, nine hitters, three outs. So, Doug, let me ask you. You've been around. Is there any chance the Yankees just made up this injury to Get him out of sight. Not that teams would ever invent an injury, but like I can't help but thinking that there, there's a chance he would not know this tattoo artist from Salvador Dali. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've been to the Salvador Dali yeah, exhibit. Me too. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I will say this: the now the injured list is getting a little cryptic. It's getting more and more cryptic. Now I don't know if it's HIPAA. And I appreciate the privacy. I'm sure as a player, I'd want that. But it is getting really weird. Like, you know, the you know you always saw it in hockey, right? Injury to the upper torso core. You know, like these vague parts of the body that don't really exist. They just kind of throw it out lower there. Lower body injury. Uh, torso, lower body, torso, <laughs> the starboard side of the, the aft. You know, like, I mean, what are they? They're just making stuff up. So I don't know what that is and if it's connected. I'm always suspicious. You know, we used to talk about the phantom d- disabled list back in the day, now the IL, and um, and how, like, were players hurt and you're not sure and all of a sudden they disappear and is it just more of a roster move? I, I'm sure th- this could be, I'm not saying it's part of the Yankees, but this could be, this is sort of culturally part of what I remember experiencing in baseball. I, and look, when I got released from the Yankees my last year at 05 in spring training, um, there was a the Padres. We had Bruce Brochi on earlier this year, and the Padres were rumored to kind of want me to sign over there, but they were going to start me in AAA, and I didn't I didn't want to go back to the minor leagues. So I remember asking like, well, I know, can't you just put me on the disabled list or then the disabled <laughs> list and just maybe until somebody? And actually, it would have worked out well for them because Dave Roberts and I think it was Eric Young, but they had two veteran guys that both got hurt the first like week of the season and they had no center fielder. And by then I was already on my couch. So it was kind of too late. So yeah, I, I, the, the IL is getting weird. It's getting really weird. And uh, when you get an infected tattoo on that list, it's it, then it's really crossed the threshold of weirdness, which is exactly where we thrive. So I appreciate you all of all this and I appreciate yeah. you. Just to be clear, we're not accusing anyone of anything. Just saying sometimes when you hear these accounts of these legendary injuries, we're authorizing you to get suspicious if you will just authorize us to get suspicious. Okay? But but that and they is- have these and they have these top 
Right, and they have these top medical staff. That's the other thing I don't understand. <laughs> you have like amazing, you have like the best physicians on earth taking care of you. Why wouldn't you ask or get some special lotion, cream, whatever? I don't know. I'm just, just throwing it out yeah. there, but you know, yeah. Right, that, all right. That, that, it's, it's a fun topic, but that, that's going to be about it for our tattoo injury department this week. <laughs> what do you say we talk to the GM of one of the hottest teams in baseball? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck t-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. All right, it's time to welcome in this week's special visitor to Starkville. It's the general manager and president of baseball ops for the defending World Series champs, Alex Anthopoulos. Alex, welcome back to Starkville. How's life treating you? Glad to be back, guys. Doing well. Um, obviously, last grind of the season here. Well, last- <laughs> five five weeks or so so it's um you know you just want to get to the end and hope that you you get in so should be a fun month for all all the fans at least i i agree just want to point out though alex i'm pretty sure that you have now achieved the ultimate in your profession and by that i don't mean winning the world series i mean visiting starkville more than (laughs) any gm in baseball is there any higher honor than that just checking I mean, if it leads to winning a World Series or something, then I'm all in. I'll, I'll do it all the time. I'll come <laughs> on each week. But, uh, no, I know the last time I was, it was spring training. It's the first time I had been on. I don't know when the town was established or the city was established. So you guys only been around for a year, two years, three years? I think, I think we're in year three, and I think this is year actually three. at least visit number three for you. So. I thought, two, yeah, I don't. Just the only one I remember was the last one in spring training. So maybe I did it a year. I think you know what? I think you're right. You did one I last year. I think after one, your big yes. trade deadline, extravagant yeah, like outside. Yeah, yeah, when I said we had, I said we had no idea what we were doing. We just hoped all these guys would yeah, end up playing well, and we had like the greatest luck ever with everybody playing out of their minds. So well, yeah, 
This just said right. it went well. It did. Really <laughs> yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I would have been smart enough to say, oh, yeah, these guys are going to be awesome for us. But uh, it definitely worked out. So hopefully if, if it was around the same time, hopefully we get some some really That's good right. luck from yeah. doing it well, again. Well, we usually offer statues for people who visit Starkville multiple times. I think you – maybe we should move up to a stadium. Yeah, we should just have a bunch of stadium. Yeah. So, <laughs> nice. How, how would that work exactly? Who's who's financing these stadiums? No, we uh, we don't have money. We have uh, a barter system in Starkville. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, all I know is I I want a fun neighborhood around the stadium, like the Battery. Okay, that's fun. I like it. You guys are very progressive, ahead of the curve. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> You'll be the, the the first bill that has a mixed use, mixed use development around the Ville. I think that's true. I like it. The Ville. Oh, this is good. This is great. So what we need now is the financing. (laughs) Anyway, listen, we want to talk to you about the art of negotiating contract extensions because you've been on quite a roll on that front. But do want to talk about your team first. Uh, I I know you just lost a couple of tough games in St. Louis, but Alex, in June, July, and August, the Braves are 56 and 23. Uh, That's basically... The same pace as the Dodgers. So for three months, you've essentially been the best team in baseball. So here, here's my thought. Is it possible that uh, this is actually a better team than the team that won the World Series last year? And if it is, why? It's so hard to, to know, right? And obviously, you get to the postseason. The, I've been part of teams where I thought we had a really good chance to win the World Series 2015 Toronto. I thought that was an amazing team. And we lost in the ALCS in 2019 Braves. Uh, we won 97 games. I was really excited about the team. And we lost in the DS to the Cardinals. So you just don't know once you get to the postseason who gets hot. Um, you know, you need, you need some luck as well, some things to break right for you. So, and I will say this. Obviously, I think we're, we're a good team. No doubt about that. Um, you know, we've, had, we've, we've been streaky in, in a good way, right? We've had some long streaks. But even talking to our manager, Brian Snicker, even those streaks that we went on, we weren't like winning games 10 to two all the time. There were a lot of really hard fought battles and <clears throat> really close wins. And I've been part of seasons and teams that have won five in a row, eight in a row, 10 in a row, where you're just rolling and you're just winning by large scores. And this season, I remember talking to Brian about this. I'm like, man, it didn't feel like we won 14 in a row. <laughs> didn't feel like we won five in a row. And that's not false humility or, or modesty. It's just, so many of those games in that streak could have gone the other way. We came back in the eighth or we didn't get a good start or we didn't hit or whatever it may have been. And we found a way to squeeze out a win. So you're not going to complain, obviously, when you're going through it. And we definitely needed to get on some hot streaks with how poorly we played it at the start. Um, but, you know, like we were talking about earlier before we started, just the NL is loaded. And, um, you know, the one thing is just it doesn't guarantee you anything. Once the playoffs start, um, you're starting from, from scratch again. So. I know people talked about our one loss record in 2021 and I think our expected wins were 94. And so we felt like we were really good from the month of August and on last year. And we played well and we beat really good teams in, in that playoff run, but we had, you know, guys get hot at the right time and be on their third game and Snit and the coaches did an incredible job. Um, what they were doing in game, the decisions they were making, they nailed so many decisions, um, and that I don't think that got talked about enough. I think Brian Snicker in that 2020 21 run 
Um, he'll even say he rewatched some of it in the winners. Like, I can't believe I made that move. I made that, that move. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you questioning it? It worked, you know? So, um, but you realize there's so many things that have to come together to win. So, you know, I do think the thought is just try to get in and then hopefully things click for you. Yeah. Well, Alex, you know, tell us how last year and the way you achieved success informed this season. You look at the trade deadline, you got veterans, Acuna went down, you got some experience, but this year it's been a lot about the farm, like bringing people up. Uh, you know, how are those two converged, you know, the lessons from last year into how you've made moves this year? Um, you know, I'd say it's been the lessons. I don't know that it's one specific year. So I think it's just, you figure every year you've been in baseball, you try to take something from it and learn something from it. And um, we called guys up when I was in Toronto from high A. We broke with Roberto Osuna and Miguel Castro at a high A ball because we felt we had a chance to win in 2015 and they were the best guys. They gave us the best chance to win. So we had done it before. I'd never called up a position player um, you know, before AAA. Uh, this was the first year with Harris and Vaughn Grissom. But I think once you're contending and you have a chance to win, you have to do everything you can. You owe it to your employees and the fans and certainly the ownership. Um and to the players in the clubhouse, the 26 guys that are already there to try to put the best team on the field. So um, I think from a trade deadline standpoint, I think what, what's changed the last few years is now that you don't have trade waivers in the month of August, you can't really add guys unless they get released and so on, or they get put on on outright weight waivers and things like that. Um, it's hard to do at the time, but if you can almost overshop ideally um, and still maintain depth, because things are going to happen and, I remember last year we added, in theory, too many outfielders, but we knew that Eddie Rosario wasn't going to be ready immediately. And, you know, once you get to the to September, the postseason, guys are going to get hurt. Guys aren't available. And I look back at Solaire got COVID in the first round in, in, in the DS where we had another outfielder to come in. Um, obviously, having an extra position player helped us when we got to the World Series. So having all those outfielders and that extra layer of depth was really important for us. So um, you know that once the trade deadline comes around, you're pretty much done adding other than maybe some small things um, towards the end, but you need as many bodies as, as you can have because you don't know what's going to happen over the next two months with the injuries and performance and things like that. And it's, it's too late at that point to, to add. So um, I think that's probably the one thing that with the rule changes that to the best of our ability, we try to just add a little bit more, even if it's not an ideal fit, because we know we're probably going to have a need uh, down the road. Uh, you know, you mentioned Michael Harris. Uh, this run you've been on the last three months basically corresponds to the time that Michael Harris showed up from double A and started playing center field. So is that a coincidence or has Michael Harris really changed your team that significantly? I mean, he's been great. I, I absolutely do not want to take a thing away from him. He's been outstanding for us. Obviously, we signed him for a reason. We really believe in him and we're excited about him long term. So. Um, but I have heard that a lot and seen that a lot. And there's no doubt his call up, his play have been a massive part of our success. Uh, my personal opinion is that Michael and a bunch of other guys, Adam Duvall started playing better and other guys started to, to get it going and playing better. But I believe um, a key factor for us was solidifying the fifth spot in the rotation. There's a lot of hard stop where four out of five guys were doing well. And that fifth spot for us at the start of the year was in and out. Guys were getting spot starts, getting option. We couldn't have anybody really take the job and stick with it. And as well as Strider was throwing in the bullpen for us, and there was a lot of conversation about 
is this the right move putting him in, in the rotation? Even though we viewed him as the starter long term, he was excelling in the bullpen and become a valuable piece for us. I believe that really solidified things for us. And again, that doesn't take anything away from all the other guys having great years for us that were were really hot throughout the stretch. But I think knowing that every five days, you know, on every day pretty much, you have a chance to win that game. And it's not even so much the ERA. Of course, you want guys to not give up a lot of runs. But we were getting guys that were going two innings and an inning and, you know, three innings and really short starts. And the cascading effect on our bullpen, not only in that game where we were getting short starts, but following through, you need to cover so many innings that day. Maybe you're optioning a guy out. Now guys are worn out for the next day and the day after that. And it compounds for the other four starters. So Strider settling into that spot and now having five guys we felt really good about and that were able to chew up innings. I think that gave us the stability that we needed. Um, and that I think was really the key to basically calming things down for us. And then obviously guys like Riley was playing, playing great. And so obviously Dansby Swanson and Harris and Olsen. And a lot of these guys all, all got hot at, at the right time. But um, I think it also helped impacted the bullpen as well because they weren't being taxed as much and people could slide into roles a little bit more. So in my mind, that was probably the, the key area as being five deep. Right, let me let me circle back to Michael Harris because you just committed to him uh, eight years, seventy two million dollars for a guy who had not even been in the big leagues for half a season. Uh, can you tell us how that came about? Take us inside those negotiations. Yeah, I mean we um, when we we debated calling him up for quite a while. So um, there was we knew obviously how talented he was and. You know, we, our thought was let's bring him up and have him play. We knew the defense was going to show up, play defense, hit ninth, just give us a competitive at bat. He hits the ball hard. He puts the ball in play. Um, obviously, we knew that was going to be challenged. The contact rates weren't going to be the same at the big league level with the stuff he was going to face. But we knew that from a defensive standpoint, he would bring a lot and solidify things there. And that's another left-handed bat. Again, we weren't expecting a ton of offense from the nine hole. So, obviously, he came up. Um, he had had his hands were higher in his swing in the minor leagues. And we had talked internally about at some point approaching him about lowering his hands, but timing is everything. And he was having just enough success that that wasn't the right time. So um, he was having success, but we did feel eventually that change was, he was going to need to make some type of change there. Um, and I give Kevin Seitzer a ton of credit because he was aware of what the thoughts were organizationally and, it was going to be a feel thing for him as to hey, when do I bring it up? And that was his decision of he knows the right moment, the right time. You know, it's hard to tell someone you've had success, you got called up and you should make a change or we should suggest a change. And um, he brought it up to him when we were in Arizona. So it must have been three days after we called him up. We called wow. him up, you know, very soon. And to Mike's credit, um, he he made it. He just he tried it in, in the cage and he told sites. He said, I'm just going to. Um, I'm going to try it tonight in the game. And he was surprised. Obviously, Kevin Seitzer was surprised he was willing to just try it in the game. But we didn't want to put any pressure on him or so on. Because you don't know, even though you have thoughts and ideas, you're not, you don't know that they're ever going to work. Or there's, they're just, you know, you need to make a player a partner in this and feel good about it. And I always tell players, and I knew, I know organizations we do, it's their career. You know, they have to feel good about the things that we teach or promote and things like that. So, if he was uneasy doing it, that would have been completely fine. But um, he just really exploded swinging the bat. Now, I'd like to say that had a lot to do with it. I think it did. 
Um, but you still know that the league's going to adjust to you. People don't have scouting reports on you as much, obviously, when you're at that level and so on. So, you know, there's going to be an adjustment. And there's been times where it looked like he'd hit a little bit of a dip and then he would bounce back out of it. And uh, he's obviously a very talented player, but I've been around long enough that, you know, no matter how talented you are, you know, you still, you know, are going to go through slumps and you're going to go through t- tough times. And um, that's likely going to happen with him. And I think the key part is that we're not relying on him. He's not, we didn't call him up to hit him third or hit him clean up. And we're not counting. He's sitting towards the bottom of the lineup and play good defense, give us a competitive at bat, get better, learn, and hopefully the team continues to win. And and how early on did you approach him and his side about this extension? Um, I mean, it's it came together pretty fast. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say it was months and months and months. It was probably a few weeks. Um, just I think with the way he was playing and how well he was doing. And, you know, obviously you're always trying to plan going forward. As much as you're in the now and we're worried about 2022, you always as a GM have to think ahead. And you don't know how players are going to perform going forward and they're going to stay healthy and things like that. You know, there's so many examples across the game, but we knew we wanted to commit to him. We knew we wanted him to be a brave long-term. We felt like we found our answer in center field going forward. Um, So, you know, it it just made sense to explore it. And, um, you know, we talked a lot about the, 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 the Brian Hayes deal. Uh, That was an eight year deal at $70 million. And that was basically, um, you know, what was what the key was for us. And we worked around that um, and we were able to get it done. And obviously Mike wanted to be here. You know, that goes without saying he made that very clear. Um, this is his home. Um, he's from Atlanta, loves Atlanta. And I, I'd like to believe, obviously, being a competitive team and a, a, a good team um, has certainly had a factor as well. And whether it's free agents or whether it's our own players wanting to be here. Yeah. Well, you know, I talked to Brian Snicker multiple times over the last couple of days and, you know, he raves about Michael Harris and, and he said, you know, he mentioned like in double A and spring training, they're kind of playing him all over the place. And he said, he just didn't realize how elite his defense was. And I watched this kid, I've seen a bunch of games and this guy is brilliant out there. I mean, he really understands um, has, you know, not only just instincts, just the smarts, the approach. I watched him against Wainwright yesterday. And Wainwright, you could tell they were trying to steady diet a curveball approach to him. And each at bat, he just kind of found a little more adjustment. And then Wainwright tried to throw a 3-2 curveball that he, he roped into right field. I mean, really impressive. So I, I guess my, my question is, you have a lot of young guys, you know, under 30 that are now kind of locked up long term. And what is the strategy behind, you know, okay, here's, is, is it a core that you see staying together and winning or, and, and what pieces do you see that you might want to add to that? I think there's no doubt it's um, having this core position player group. Um, and look, I've said this, we want to keep all of them if we can. Um, and you, you do your best to end up doing that. Um, but again, like you said, with Mike, obviously, you know, there's, it's been an off speed heavy approach with him and, you know, him showing the ability to make adjustments obviously speaks to his aptitude and everything like that. But I think, you know, more importantly, it's just a matter of I think it's important to be able to keep uh, players here long term, players that we value on and off the field. I think the fans can, you know, connect with, identify with, grow up with. And I think it's important. Obviously, we're doing it with players that we think are good and are going to help us win games. Um, and look, obviously, we at, at the same time, we're not running a $300 million payroll and so on. So, um you know, we only have so many slots um, at certain dollars and salaries, and some of these are big commitments. Obviously, a guy like Riley and Olson, 
Um, but it's, you know, knowing that you're committed to certain spots, I think it does when you're going out there, whether you're signing a free agent and so on, people have an idea of who they're going to pull it, play with. And it takes the uncertainty out of the way. We have cost certainty as well. Um, we know what we have to work with from a payroll standpoint and so on. So, you know, you can't, you're not just going to sign eight players at once or 10 players at once. You do them one at a time. And as you do it and the more commitments you make, obviously at some point you're not going to have room uh, to keep adding players, but, you know, when you identify guys that you want to keep, you do what you can to sign those players. And hopefully you make the right calls on the players and they stay healthy and they still perform. And you still you you hope you're hoping to ensure a competitive team for years to come. Now, it sounds great on paper and that that's the goal. But, you know, we all know no one plans on having a bad season. No one plans on getting hurt. It happens, you know, and that's no, that's no one's fault. That's not for lack of effort or things like that. It just happens. It's a as we all know it's a really hard game. So. Um, and it's hard for guys year in and year out to produce and so on. But if you have enough depth, one through nine, you know, and a guy gets hurt or a guy has a bad year, your season shouldn't be torpedoed just based on that one guy. Hopefully some other guys are there to, uh, to balance it out. So um, we like the group. We think we've got a really good core. Um, but, you know, it's something that we're always going to try to do and to be able to sustain being a competitive club. Alex, let me ask you about the art of negotiating these deals. Um... Michael Harris, probably going to be the rookie of the year in the National League. Uh, you signed him for $72 million. Julio Rodriguez, probably going to be the rookie of the year in the American League. Mariners just signed him to a deal that guarantees him three times that amount. Uh, Ken Rosenthal pointed out in the piece he wrote about Julio's extension that the Mariners guaranteed Julio more than the guarantees for Michael Harris Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies put together. And I know when I talk to your peers and other front offices, they're always saying stuff like, how does Alex do it? So let me ask you that. How do you do it? How do you sign so many cornerstone players to deals that are considered um, by the industry to be under the market value of these players? Yeah, I think one of these, you're hoping these guys are cornerstone players, right? That That's the goal. Um, and I, you know, obviously I've seen a lot of, um, I haven't dug through, I don't know if that the, the contracts come through on the Julio Rodriguez deal, but I've seen it could be worth up. To, it's, it's potentially an 18 year deal. Yeah. Um, so obviously that's a really long deal. Um, I think with some of our guys, there's going to be a second contract there, hopefully from us. Um, obviously again, I, and I don't, have the details exactly other than what I've seen online. So I don't want to speak out of turn on the Rodriguez deal. I, from what I understand on the Rodriguez deal, the club has the right to make Rodriguez basically guarantee his entire career is played with the Mariners. So um, I think with our contracts, other than Austin Riley and Matt Olson, and it's not to say they won't play till they're 40, but uh, they're both signed through the age of 35. I think safe to say they're going to play the majority of their careers in Atlanta um, with their deals. I think with the other guys that you brought up, there's there's because of their ages, there's going to be a second deal there uh, for those guys. And hopefully those second deals are, are w with us. So I don't think they exactly, you know, they don't span the exact same time frame. Um, and again, you know, I think with all these, you're looking at comps and and what's been done. So, you know, just obviously, um, you know, on on Matt Olson and, and Riley, obviously those are linked. They're s similar in terms of that uh, stage, obviously Harris, um, you know, because those are the contracts that we just did this past year. We worked off the Cabrian Hayes deal, and that was done, 
I think earlier in the season by the Pirates as well. So um, I just think that the time frames of these are important because it's to me it's one, there's one of two things: is this your last? You're likely your last big contract, and I think that's because of ages. That's I don't you know I'll speak for Austin and for Matt, but I think the thought is, hey, I'm spending the bulk of my career here in Atlanta, whereas with Mike and Ronald and some of those and and all these, you know, they are still going to be young and there's going to be a contract to follow if they become and continue to be, um, you know, with guys that have been established in Mike. And if he becomes, they become great players. So when you're negotiating these deals, does the word discount ever come up? No, I think it's just a matter. Are you doing short or are you doing long? And um, I think it's with Riley, it was going to be, you know, we talked around arbitration about doing a shorter deal. Um, and, you know, that wasn't something that was going to line up. We had really good, com- really good conversations. And we even said at the time that hopefully this will lay the groundwork and the fa- foundation for a long deal. Because uh, when you ultimately decide you want to sign a player, you're, you're basically saying, I believe in you. I believe in you long term. I believe what you're about. I'm guaranteeing you all this, all this money. There's obviously there's going to be risk of health and performance, but I believe in you and I'm going to bet on you. Um, and obviously the player wants to be here. So with Riley, I think the understanding was, look, we do believe in you long term, but the thought was to go short at first. And as we went through the arbitration process, he went through, we didn't get a deal done, but it was very good, amicable conversation. Uh, once we started up again around the trade deadline, you know, then it was, hey, we'd like to do something. But now we want to make that decision to make a big financial commitment long term. And obviously that was over $200 million, which was the, the lar- largest deal by a lot in the history of the Braves. And I think, you know, that's the one thing is it's a ton of credit to um, our chairman, Terry McGurk. I mean, two of the, the lar- largest contracts in the history of the Braves have been done over the last five, six months from Matt Olson was first. That had been the highest ever guarantee in the history of the Braves at $168 million. And then Riley now um, is now the largest guarantee in the history of the Braves at 212. So um, every case is unique. Every player is unique. Um, you just hope that these deals, they, they work out. Um, and, you know, you hope they work out for both sides that, you know, players end up playing well. I don't think anybody wants to get hurt or anybody wants to not end up playing well, but, um, yeah, the goal for all of us is for these guys to be good players and for the team to win. And hopefully we continue to provide a good environment and a winning team because these guys all want to play on a contending team. So, you know, and in this process, Alex, I'm curious how much you consider what other organizations are doing, not not just in the economics, but, you know, like you're in the division with the Mets and they have whatever Scherzer de Grom or I mean, how much does it play into the timing of how to sign guys? relative to like where the elite teams are in that particular year. Yeah, we don't, we don't, and I don't mean this in a, you know, the wrong way. We, we can't, um, we can't operate um, and worry about other because we operate with the parameters that we have our market and our payroll and everything else. So we have to work with what we have to work with. And um, it doesn't matter, for, you know, from our standpoint, you know, there's one, it's not one player will not make or break you. We, we've seen that in baseball, you need 26 and you need 40. And beyond that, to, to win and to get to the postseason, you can have the best player in the game, and it doesn't ensure anything. So, um, we need to make sure that we put, we have a deep roster across the board. And look, you're aware. I get asked about this every time, even in the off season. Team in your division makes moves, and sure, you're you're aware of it, and you think, wow, they're getting better. But you know that's going to happen. Those are all really well run clubs, make good decisions. Um, this division's tough. You know, I was in the AL East in Toronto. 
and I thought that was the hardest division to be in, and it was certainly a challenge. And being in the NL East is absolutely a challenge as well. So that isn't going to change. Um, we have to just worry about about ourselves and do what makes sense for us. And um, hopefully, you know, that results in, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I know people talk about every time they, they sign players or trade for players or, you know, we're going to win a lot of championships and so on. And that sounds great, but only one team can win each year, right? So I think it's giving yourself a chance to win a championship is the, the key thing. Um, and giving your and how that happens is getting back to the playoffs year in and year out. Hey, let me ask you about Dansby Swanson because that's a deal that you haven't gotten done. Uh, he's he's about to become a free agent. He's from Georgia. He said he wants to be a Brave. Um, the fact that this one hasn't gotten done along the way is that any indication that this is going to be a more challenging negotiation than the deals that have gotten done? Yeah, I understand the question, and I, you know, I've always had a policy of, um, I, I'll, I'll never um, get into any contract discussions on any players, sure. uh, media-wise, just because there's no upside. And I get it as a fan; I want to know. So, um, but there's just no upside. You know what I, you know, I guess you know the 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 best I can say is that he's a core piece for us. He's a really important core piece for us. Um, and obviously, you want to keep really important core pieces. He's the captain of the infield. He plays a really important demanding position. He's part of four division winners and a World Series winner um, at a really important spot. And he's, you know, he's the same age as all these other guys. And he's from here and he loves being here. And you know, I saw his quote the other day and I thought it was very fair, you know, that, um, you know, I, I think he's, he's characterized things well. So I view him as a core piece. And obviously, we want to keep core pieces. And um, hopefully we get that done. Well, remember, uh, you know, by the way, um, I, I met Dansby for the first time this year in the beginning of the season. And uh, he was taking batting practice. And he's like, oh, hold on a second. I got something to tell you. So I was just standing up behind the cage. And he comes <laughs> over to me and says, I just got to let you know, when I was like nine or ten, you signed an autograph at a Braves games for me. And I remember that. And I, I just, it was, it was so important. <laughs> so I was like, wow. well, first of all, I'm old. Okay, I understand that. But, um, but it was cool. And, you know, but the reason I even, you know, hung out at the cages, I was going to tell him he had two hustle doubles that day or the game before against the Padres. And I just pointed out, I was like, Hey man, I just appreciate how hard you play. And, uh, but he had immediate feedback to be like, Hey, let me just tell you this story. So, you know, it's been, it's been fun to watch him. So I definitely appreciate that. And and I learned about his Georgia roots just from that story. (laughs) So (laughs) <laughs> no, he's he's phenomenal. He's um he's sincere. He's just he's got he's the total package in terms of uh you know just in terms of obviously he's he's bright you know away from the field, but his baseball intellect, his baseball IQ, his in, his instincts are phenomenal. Um, and uh, you know people have said it, and I've said it a lot, but he really he truly I mean he's in the zone and he's in his element when he's in a winning environment. I mean I don't I don't want to speak for him, but I don't think there's anything he enjoys more. When he's winning, and you know the biggest thing is, I learned it as a young executive in the game is, and you hear it all the time, but you know very few guys actually do this. Is you really will not know if he went over four with four strikeouts or four for four with four home runs. He's the exact same guy, and uh, he's about his teammates and he's about the team. He's all about team, and uh, you know uh, I don't know if anybody either of you watched the man in the arena with Tom Brady, but he talked about when he was in college and his college coach. 
just emphasize to him it's a team, the team, the team, the team. And when I watched it, I thought it, I thought it dance be a hundred percent. I think because everything in his brain, everything is wired towards team. Everything he, he comes up with is about team. It's never about him. Um, and some guys, it's it's false when it comes to that. But with him, it's totally sincere. Um, he's at his best when he's a massive part of a winning environment and creating it. Hey, I don't know if the statute of limitations on Freddie Freeman questions has, <laughs> has run out. Uh, we, look, we've talked to you about it before. That's the other deal that didn't get done. I, I understand it's obviously worked out fine for everybody. But I'm, I'm curious, um, now that time has gone by, is there any part of the Freddie Freeman negotiations you look back on with any sense of regret? You know, I think, like you said, it's, uh, I think, at the end of the day, I, you know, I don't want to speak from, obviously the Dodgers are a phenomenal club. I work there. It's a great organization. Obviously I feel good about our club. Um, I'm always going to have great things to say about Freddie because he's every bit of a, a huge part of all the success that we've had in Atlanta before I got here. And even after I, I got here. So, you know, beyond that, I, you know, I think, um, I think in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, he's in a great spot. We're in a great spot. Um, that doesn't take away a thing of all you, the silver sluggers and the gold gloves and the MVPs and the division titles and the World Series. And the list goes on and on and on. And he's a Hall of Famer. I, I, I don't see any scenario that he's not going to be a Hall of Famer. I expect him to be a Braves Hall of Famer. And um, beyond that, we're pulling for him all times. I am too, 100%. And uh, he's a friend for, for life as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no. And, and, I, and I know it's like you look back and – as you mentioned, you talked about the collective knowledge you gain from negotiations and experiences. Are there any sort of big takeaways at this point in your, your career where you kind of realize like, okay, this thing seems to hold true uh, year in, year out about the role that I play in, in running an organization? Um, you know, I think you're just so much in the I, – I don't I – mean, I think you try to learn from everything, obviously, but every year is totally different. And I think the only thing that – I believe holds true, or at least that's how I operate is what happened in the past is gone. And, um, you know, I think you learn that in sports and whether you've won a world series or you've won the division or, you know, whether you're a player and you want a Cy Young or an MVP, you know, it's what have you done for me lately? And that's just the reality of sports. So, um, I don't think you ever get a chance to, um, I want to say to breathe, but just, I don't, I don't think you can ever take your foot off the gas of, you know, trying to make your team better because it's the game moves fast and the game will move on without you at the same time. And, um, you know, being a good organization is about being com competitive every year and contending every single year. So, um, again, I'm a sports fan. Sometimes I sit there and I, you know, I see other sports and I see, well, they're going after a coach or they're going after the GM or a player. They may have had an unbelievable run and you're like, wow, they had an unbelievable run. Like I can't believe like they're already calling for that guy's head or this player to get traded. And um, I think you just understand that's just comes with the territory. That's just the way it works. So um, I think it um, I think it's just a reminder. Um, not that I think we anybody in these jobs would ever sit back and not work as hard and so on. But um, I think you really whatever success you have, you really literally enjoy it in the moment. And and maybe for a few days after that or maybe the off season. But then you're done. You know, you're done and you better move on to the next thing. Alex, be, before we let you go, I, I wanted to ask you about your coaching staff, uh, starting with your manager, Brian Snitker, because so many teams now 
seem like they're hiring coaches who never played in the big leagues. That's not true on your team. Um, yet you obviously incorporate many levels of modern data and modern thinking. You've got a team where your players always seem like they get better. Um, so you may have old school type names on your staff with Wash and Kevin Seitzer and Eric Young, but I, I wouldn't describe the approach of your team as old school. So I guess my question is, what's the lesson that other teams can learn from the coaching staff on your team? Well, I think one, I had, I did not, I was not involved in hiring anybody in the staff other than our bolt. <laughs> Our bullpen coach. So I think John Hart and Perry Manassian, because they were both together at the time, they did the majority of the the hires. Um, You know, they deserve credit for bringing these guys in. Now, I was familiar with guys like Sal Fasano. I was with them in Toronto. So I knew Sal. But I think, you know, the one thing is these guys have had a lot of experience. One, playing careers like you talked about. But you look at Eric Young. He had been a first-base coach with Colorado and Arizona for a long time. Walt Weiss, he managed Brian Snicker specifically has got so much baseball knowledge and experience, both at the minor league level, at the big league level. I mean, I keep learning from him all the time. Just sometimes he doesn't even realize he's doing it, but just he'll drop just a piece of knowledge about when he was in the minor leagues or this or that, just all that experience. And he doesn't think it's anything when he says certain things, but I listen to it. I just kind of grab him like, wow, that's really wise. And, you know, and only a guy like that, would know something like that or observe something like that. And I'm really, I'm really grateful that I get to be around him because there's, like you said, there's very few people in in the game that have done what he's done. And also I view him as like the walking encyclopedia of the Braves and the links he has to, to the past. And he gets to carry the torch. And I came in, I've been here five years now, but I don't, you know, other than having watched on TBS and so on, um, I don't have the history and the knowledge of the Braves, obviously, and everything he's been through and everything he's seen and all these great Hall of Famers and people and so on and just the things that he says and what he was around. Um, I'm really grateful. He doesn't. I've never told him this, but I am. I'm really grateful that I just get to talk baseball with him at times. You know, obviously we're doing moves with roster and things like that, but just there's some moments where we have conversations where he says some really, you know, some some things that really blow my mind. And then you look at obviously a guy like Wash in the World Series twice as a when he managed third base coach forever, great infield guy, um, Kevin Seitzer, hitting coach for us in Toronto, Kansas City here. I mean, you know, the, and I don't want to take anything away from any Rick Kranitz has been around forever as well. So these guys have been around so many great players and um, they've had so much experience. So I, I think the biggest thing is obviously we bring a lot of in, information down to them, but we work together. We work as, as a team. So. Uh, but I don't, and again, like they, they're the ones that they vet a lot of this stuff. We talk through it and their experience and their knowledge, um, is important. And also they connect with the players and, you know, you look at what they have, you know, the, the ability to connect with the player, I think is the most important thing. Don't get me wrong. You need knowledge. That goes without saying the barrier to entry is to have knowledge. Um, but I also don't think you're getting anywhere if you don't connect with players. So you could be the smartest guy in the room. You could be great, but if you don't connect, I just don't think it's going to go anywhere. It isn't going to land. They're going to tune you out. So those guys have a, have a gift. And, um, you know, we love the continuity and the stability as well. And um, obviously, hopefully, we continue. You kept using that word experience. And I guess that's the essence of my question. What's the value of that experience? I'm sure you're aware that's really not the trend in the industry. Yeah, I mean, I look, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth in the sense that I got a <laughs> 
was 32, so I didn't have a lot of experience. Um, I got to be an area scout when I, when I was really young and a scouting coordinator. And, um, you know, and I look back and I, you know, I was because I started in scouting and that's my true love, going to the ballpark, going to watch games and being able to scout. And when you think about it, I mean, the older you, the more experience you have from a scouting standpoint, you should be a better scout. It's a game of comparisons and learning where you made mistakes and why'd you miss on this player, that player. And, and, and that, that's not to say that, that um, I'm grateful I got an opportunity when I was young and I didn't have experience. So obviously I, I had people that saw things in me and believed in me and so on. Um, but at the same time, I do see tremendous value in experience, having learned from your mistakes. And now you don't necessarily, you know, I, you don't necessarily want to have someone going to make mistakes all, all the time, but having learned from those mistakes is tremendous value. So I think that all of us, me included, the, the staff, we've all had other roles, other jobs. We've all had to fail in other places. Um, I think it, I think we just have a lot of experience to fall back on and it certainly helps. Alex, uh, we always appreciate your willingness to make time for us and to be so open about uh, explaining how you do what you do, why you do it, how you do it. So, look, we'll be seeing you in October. Uh, thanks again for taking the time to visit us here in Starkville. All right, guys, really glad to be on. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. All right, Doug, it's that time again. That time where we embarrass ourselves in the segment that we have come to know as listeners embarrass <laughs> supposed experts with trivia. <laughs> uh, we whiffed on Albert Pujols trivia last week. And just to prove that we're gluttons for punishment, we're going to take on another one of those this week. What could possibly go wrong, Doug? I know. We keep adding answers to, you know, I don't you know, we're supposed to go like simpler. We're getting more complicated. That's, you know, I don't know. Right. Why, why do we do we're this? We're all messed up here. I, I, I don't know. Look, uh, at any rate, uh, on that note, let's welcome in this week's special listener trivia guest star. It's Adam Ryder. Adam, thanks for joining us in Starkville. I know you've been here before. Have we ever gotten one of your questions right? 
Yes, uh, thank you for having me once again. Uh, almost two years ago to the day, uh, shortly after Tom Sieber passed, uh, my question about which three, at the time, three active players had won uh, at least 70, at least 75 games for two different teams. Uh, you did guess that question correctly. It was uh, Rick Porcello, Max Scherzer, and John Lester. Mm, wow, about it. impressive. <laughs> okay, wow. well, th that's a record we're guaranteed <laughs> yeah, not to keep was... up. Wow. <laughs> Doug, you know that Adam works for that school where you once matriculated, yeah. right, Penn? Uh, Adam, you're you're one of the sports information people at Penn. So tell us, uh, is there any more beloved ex-Penn athlete <laughs> than Doug Lanville? Any more beloved ex-Penn athlete? <laughs> so 99% yeah. of the time, I would say absolutely not. But just recency bias being... Uh, Mark DeRosa being named the manager for Team USA in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. This might be that that, that the one percent of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's pretty beloved that that Mark DeRosa, but I like I, I would think, you know, like in the non Mark DeRosa, <laughs> department, like Chuck Bednarik, whatever the guy they named the Heisman Trophy after, big deal. The correct answer should really be Doug Lanville. Don't we all agree on that? I'll accept absolutely. that. Oh, absolutely. No <laughs> one else has their names at the top of Penn record books uh, as long and as uh, profoundly as uh, as Doug Lanville has with the Penn baseball record books. That's right. I'm hanging in there. I'm trying to, you know, I don't know when I'll eventually be erased and fall from grace, but it's been fun. I got to teach there. I loved it. Had a blast. So, uh, and, I, and I went to Penn, man, Penn was so close this year. Columbia got them at the very end. It was, it was heartbreaking, but I went to the Penn Brown a series and uh, my wife went to Brown. So that was fun because Penn, Penn beat him up pretty good. So bragging rights. <laughs> well, uh, listen, speaking of correct answers, Adam, why don't, why don't you hit us with your questions so we can talk ourselves out of the correct answer this week. Future Hall of Famer, Albert Pujols, has homered <laughs> off of five men who are already in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Name four of them, and uh, if you get all five between the two of you, by all means, that will uh, surely, certainly stand for some extra credit. <laughs> really? Hey, we do appreciate you taking pity on us and not asking us to name all of them. But is it going to help? Uh, probably not. Just based on experience, probably not. Uh, all right, so we're just going to spew answers here as usual because it's not that hard to think of the Hall of Fame pitchers from Albert's era. I was just in Cooperstown at induction weekend a few weeks ago. So we can throw out a bunch of names. What's going to be hard is guessing which ones Albert homered against because for some reason we don't remember all, all 694 <laughs> homers. So, all right, we have the three Braves, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. Uh, we have the legends, Randy and Pedro. Uh, we have two starting pitchers who went in my year, uh, Roy Halladay and Mike Messina. Uh, I, relievers are also part of this, correct, Adam? Yes. Okay, so the two relievers, I think, from Albert's time would be Mariano and then Trevor Hoffman. Okay, so how many names is that? Uh, three, five, seven, that's nine names. All we have to do is pick four. And the, and the, I don't, I don't, now, that should be no trouble. Does this include playoffs or is it only <laughs> regular season? 
Based on what I had seen, it would appear regular season only. All right. Well, look, we don't 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 foul this up any more than it's already a mess. Um, like I feel like we should be gravitating toward the pitchers he faced the most. Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Trevor. They were all National Leaguers for almost the entire time that th- their careers in Alberts overlapped. Um, but, but, you know, if you think about it, Randy was in the National League most of those years, maybe all of those years. Pedro and Halliday, obviously, they had a long run in the NL. So now we've, like, that's almost <laughs> all of them. <laughs> okay, well, so I, mean, I, I don't well, know. Del, right. what are your thoughts I mean, I, I'm trying to think if we ever got Mariano Rivera. That's the thing that... I mean, all right. Not likely they played the Yankees very often, right? So, not likely. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Mariano. All right, so we take Mariano. So Pedro Martinez. I mean, he was a Red Sox, right? Pretty much. But then it, he had that run true. with the Mets and Mets finished and with the Phillies, and that takes him yeah, through quite a bit true. of Albert's career. All right, that's a tough. It's a lot of years. All right, what about Messina? That's ball, Yankees. That was, that, Baltimore. He would have. That was all, all right. AL. I'm generous to him. So, I mean, they would have he would have faced them, but yeah. not a lot. I mean, you know, it's, of course. See, I, like I would be leaning Glavin and Randy Johnson because they're left-handed, mm-hmm. and then Hoffman just because they face each other Hoffman. so much. And I was thinking Smoltz, Glavin, you, you, Johnson, Glavin, Randy, Smoltz, Glavin, Hoffman. Randy, Smoltz, Hoffman, and then and then who? <laughs> One, Oh, we, oh, we got to guess a fifth just to, to throw another. Um, I mean, maybe he, did he get Pedro? I mean, Pedro was, you know, not Pedro of 99 back in the latter True. part of his career. True. <sighs> Hung some change-ups, mm. right? What about Roy Holiday? You know, Phillies. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to take the no on that one. They wouldn't have faced each other very oh, much. And, they hit so many home runs. I mean, it's possible. All right. Yeah, it's all, all right. We're, so we're, we're all totally right, so yeah, guessing. Small, so you have what? Smoltz, Glavin, Johnson, Hoffman, and Pedro. Is that what we're saying? Sure. Yeah. What the heck? Adam, all right, <laughs> Adam. That's our that's our five. Is there any chance it's Glavin, Johnson, Smoltz, Hoffman, and Pedro, <laughs> or any combination? Three of those five are correct. Trevor, oh! Trevor Hoffman is correct. Randy Johnson uh, is correct. And John Smoltz is correct. Wow. Greg Maddox was one. And Shoot. against the New York Yankees in 2003, off of one Mike Mussina. Wow. Whoa. Wow. What are the eyes? Nice. Three out of five. All right. So... Uh, as always, we're just an embarrassment. Three out of five, you know, you know, sixty like percent. That's a that's a D minus. In that's a seventy five percent, really. Oh, it's true. Right, he was giving us four, and we still <laughs> it just wasn't good enough. Like that's a C, that's if, a if C. I remember though, last week, last week we said, look, our real our real purpose here was just to honor Albert. We're not really trying to get the questions right. We're just honoring the man. So let's why don't we do that again? Like that's our alibi. Yeah, let's stick with it. We'll take a beating for in his honor. I like it. So it's fun. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to ignore the part where we're something like three and twenty in trivia since opening day. We're honoring Albert, and we're going to honor him one more time now because we're going to bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play yet another 
epic Albert Pujols moment. So, Tim, what do you got? So of all those guys, the one Hall of Famer he took deep the most was actually Randy Johnson. So we're going to go with one of those. But yeah, he hit him five times, Randy Johnson, including a fairly important home run in Albert Pujols' career. Back in 2001, his first ever postseason home run against Randy Johnson. Here you go. Hit down the right field line and hit pretty well towards the corner. That ball is gone. Home run. Down the right field line for Pujols, and the Cardinals have taken a 2-0 lead. Now you want to know why Pujols has MVP-type numbers, certainly the rookie of the year, is there are very few guys that can take that pitch from Randy Johnson and hit it out of the ballpark. Fastball up and away from Pujols, and he still hammered it. Albert <laughs> won the battle, but the D-backs went on to win the World they Series, did. so they won the war. Yeah, that was a great series, if I remember. Um but anyway, we, we've distracted you long enough. <laughs> we stink. Adam, fun question. Uh, thanks so much for coming back to visit us again. Uh, appreciate all your questions. And I, I don't think anybody submits more questions week to week than you. You can't win the lottery if you don't play. So I appreciate uh, I, I appreciate <laughs> being on both of these times. Uh, it has been uh, a true pleasure. Strange but true. So, Doug, a couple of years ago, we had a year-long stupid baseball bet thing going. It was based around position players pitching. I'm sure you remember. Uh, it's a good thing we stopped keeping track of that because it, it, it's gotten exhausting to try to keep track. I still do. <laughs> but luckily, it's still the stuff that strange but true segments are made of. So since I keep track, I wanted to pass along a few of the strange but true position player pitching tidbits of the last few days, just for your strange but true pleasure. Sound good? It sounds wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> okay. First thing, as we record this, you want to guess how many position players have pitched this year, not even counting Otani? I think a decent amount, actually. A decent amount? Yeah. A historic amount. Historic? Oh, we should have kept our, our thing going then. <laughs> Bring it back. <laughs> well, well, we'll take that under advisement in the future. But we're up to 98 of these things. 98 pitching appearances by position players this week, or this year. So we're going to hit 100 of them this week. The old record for a whole season was 90. That was back in 2019. We're going to break that record by like 30. So I guess I should ask you, is that good? What's happening? I thought this was supposed to like de- end. You know, the we have the the ghost runners, zombie <laughs> uh, runners. And what I, I thought this was like a thing of the past. What happened? I, I wrote I wrote a whole thing about this a couple weeks ago. Thanks for reading it. Um, <laughs> you know, that a big part of it is that they went to this 13 pitcher limit which was supposed to inspire more innings from the starting pitchers and instead has inspired more innings from like the backup shortstop. Right, exactly. uh, that's not the long-term goal here. And it still has it at some point, this is going to have an impact, but right now the impact is we have a million position players pitching. And so that brings me to the next thing. Did you know last Tuesday we had six position players pitch in one day, <laughs> six and in case you're wondering, I know you're wondering, Doug, that is a record. The old record was five, also set this year, of course. Uh, one of the six last Tuesday was a guy named 
Christian Bethencourt. Uh, he's had a lot of lives. He was a catcher with the Braves, and he tried, they, they, the Padres tried to make him a pitcher. Now he's back to being a position player with the Rays. But uh, he pitched in a game that his team won. <laughs> so let me give you a taste of how his evening went. Sends this one deep to center, all the way back to the wall, gone, home run. And there's a looper into left center, that's going to fall. The Raiders will score. Here comes Walls, he will score. As Bethencourt, who started this with the home run. It's having an inning, Christian Bethencourt. There's a swing and a foul tip into the mitt of Renhifo for strike three. A 94 mile an hour fastball, Ben Bethencourt. 94. Yeah, let, let's make sense of that. Right? <laughs> yeah, he homered and he got two RBI hits in the same <laughs> inning. He was the catcher in this game and then he pitched in the same game. And uh, you don't see that much. Uh, Doug, I did look it up um, without giving all the details. The only previous players who ever caught and pitched in a game their team won. Did it in like those gimmicky games where guys played all nine positions, but Christian Pettencourt he <laughs> finished the game on the mound and his team won. So how well, crazy! I'm feeling you know huh? I'm feeling double duty Radcliffe coming on uh, Negro leagues. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. but I think I'd be more impressed if he pitched to himself. If he was a pitcher and a catcher, that would that would just blow my mind. <laughs> if he threw it, ran to the mound, <laughs> ran off the mound to the home plate and caught it. That's just next level, and that, even Otani hasn't done that yet. So, yeah, let's go. Let, let's let's. <laughs> that's, that's something for one of those guys to shoot for. Here's another guy who could shoot for it. This is the last one, Hanser Alberto. Are you following this guy? He pitched in two games for the Dodgers in a row last week, Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, that's odd enough, but you know what was really strange but true about it? They won both games. So he's pitched six times this year. Doug, they've now won all six games that he has pitched in. They only won seven Walker <laughs> games all year. So is that strange but true I enough put for him you? In the rotation, man. You know, we, we have the you know, they created the term opener. <laughs> We're gonna have to come up like positioner. Positioner, and I, and by the way, that's what they call the kind of hockey puck you put in your mouth after you have braces off, and you wear the retainer. But then you have the positioner first that keeps it in place. So I think it, you know there's a lot of marketing and sponsorship opportunities for the positioner. So I'm voting to start that new role in Major League Baseball. After the opener, we're gonna have a positioner. He's gonna start the game, then go to shortstop, <laughs> then maybe catch, and then close out his own game that he started. The positioner. You heard it here first. Yeah. I like it. I, I like it. Uh, I, I, you know, I know that you're, you're dying to talk about your claim to fame, not in actually pitching in a game, but you're hitting feats against position players. So why not? This is the time for you to get this out. Well, we might Let's have hear. mentioned this at some point in the past. I, I think I, I, think I, I saw you, you mentioned it in a column in 2018. I did look it up. But um, yeah, I have the only, I mean, I may be just failing memory here. The only time I remember facing a position player was when I was with the Phillies and Gary Gaetti comes in and we were blowing the Cubs out. He was the Cubs. And uh, I hit a triple off him to right center on a fastball up and away that I'm sure it only topped out at like 68. 
And um, so I felt bad. I was kind of picking on him. And, you know, I, and but, but here's the thing I didn't remember. I was watching the video again, which you can find on YouTube, by the way. He threw a one, sure. I think it was a one-two curveball at my head. I had to duck out of the way. And I think that just fired me up to uh, stay on that next fastball. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to charge a position player. That that has to be unprecedented. Does anybody ever charge the mound on a position player? I don't know. But can't nah, recall him. Very good. So I right, said, so, but so just to get this straight, you tripled. Yeah, off after Gary he Yeager? threw a curveball at my head. Yes. Okay. You you know that used to be impressive once upon a time uh, when a guy like you got a triple off a position player. I think now the standard would be that you would have to hit a triple and give up a triple in the same inning. So next time you do that, Doug, I will, get back I will to request to be in the game, back in the game. And I remember I would have, I would have had a triple in the Hall of Fame game. I played it at Cooperstown one year. And um, mm-hmm. Rick Wise was playing second base. So think about that for a second. And uh, I hit a ball in the gap. I was about to shift gears from second to third. And he started yelling at me because he was mad that he felt the young guys who had just recently retired were picking on the old guys. So he made me stop at second base. So I did. And Jim Rice was in left. And, you know, Jim Rice, you know, couldn't throw like he used to and all that. So I, I respect, out of pure <laughs> respect of Rick Wise, I turned a triple into a double and stayed at second base. I don't know what that has to do with no any idea. of this, but yes. good tale. <laughs> all right. That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the sensational writing in The Athletic, we can tell you how. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you know what? You can still subscribe for just one dollar a month for the next six months but also remember you too can be part of this podcast just fire a trivia question at me or glanville and maybe we'll pick your question and we can prove once again there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong so how would you fire a question at us you can fire it via email at stuckville at theathletic.com or you can fire it at Doug Glanville on Twitter. I'm just not sure how that would work. Well, you know, you just throw the at symbol, the A with the circle around it, I guess, and uh, throw my name after that, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Don't answer the questions, by the way. Um, I'm think- yeah, we should yeah, start don't. thinking about it. Should they send it to the mayor? That could be the, that could be the future. Uh, 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 I, don't, I yeah. don't know what we're going to do about this. Way yeah. too many people. Answering the question. Does Starkville have many. like a jail or uh, some sort of system of, um, I don't know, I'm just thinking like a county jail. Yeah, so that. Uh, I believe we have no ability to impose, impose discipline uh, in any way, shape, or form other than to <laughs> yell at people on Twitter, which we've tried. Um, by the way, <laughs> we digress. If you'd like to spell many fewer letters, you can find me on Twitter also at Jason St. J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Please remember to hashtag the questions, hashtag StarkvilleQS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Alex Anthopoulos for joining us. Thanks to Adam Ryder for the trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us. 
and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Tomorrow is Roundtable Day here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And Doug and I will see you next week on on Starkville. Starkville. Oh, so close.